0: What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 64 of Dart Against Humanity. Uh, today's episode, I'm going to talk about the 25th anniversary of Redman's classic sophomore album, Dare Is a Dark Side. It was the other half of the um, Def Jam RAL campaign, Month of the Man. First album being November 15th, they released uh, Method Man's Tikal, which was the first album of the Wu Tang Clan solo album run. And this was the sophomore album Redman made. There is a dark side. Now the background of this album is it came from the fallout of the breakup of um the hit squad. That's EPMD's groups that they had signed to their uh, individual companies. Um, specifically They had a company called um, Schumer Management. Schumer Management, I believe, was run by um, their boy D. Wade. It was PMD's company. So they managed their protégés being K. Solo, DOSFX, and Redman. Um, K. Solo, of course, debuted on their sophomore album from 1989, Unfinished Business on Nick Night, patty what red man debuted on their nineteen ninety album uh business as usual on two songs and um I believe hardcore and um brothers on my jack then they had um dos effects dos effects album dropped at the top of 1992 as it switched over to like the second golden era which no one knew was the second golden era and of course they uh released uh dead serious but they were produced mostly by um solid scheme as opposed to epmd uh pmd was the executive producer so since all the artists were on schuma management If you looked at their albums, for the most part, you would see PMD get executive producer credits. And Schumer Management was his company pretty much. So he's getting the 10% from each of them. Um, And then when something says produced by EPMD, it says Parakin Music. So that music was split down the middle, regardless of who actually did the production. So if EPMD has their company... And let's say Parrish produces it, both he and Eric get paid. But if Eric does the production, like he did most of the work with Redman. PMD still gets half of that money. And PMD is already getting the management money. He's already getting executive producer money. So things were just uneven because what happened is PMD was more business minded. And Eric just wanted to, you know, just do the work. Now we fast forward to Redman being... Their protege, but more in Eric Sermon's camp. And when things broke up, you know, people went wherever they went. After the breakup of the hit squad. Uh, you have. Everybody going their separate ways. K solo bounced entirely. K solo just was out after he dropped times is up. So he wasn't really with Eric or Parrish. You have uh Effects, who had gone platinum, they side with PMD. PMD gets his PMD record deal with um RCA. He brings on more of his own proteges, so he has zone seven, he has top quality, so he has his ex. Eric Sermon bounces, uh, of course, he signs a solo deal with uh Def Jam. And he starts producing. He moves to Atlanta. He starts producing for other acts. But what he does is, he's successful producing for in other individuals. He does work for uh, Shades of Lingo. He does work for Legal. Legal ends up winning a Billboard award. Redman sides with Eric Sermon. Eric Sermon puts out his solo album, No Pressure. Redman. I the story goes I guess he's he's in a somewhat of a depression because a lot of things happened and he works on his solo album sophomore solo album uh pretty much alone a lot of times in seclusion this is the story and he works on it using an MPC 60 Now for those of you unfamiliar with like where production was headed especially at the time in hip hop Most people were using um, the EPS, you know, at that time, which, you know, emerges between 1988 and like 1991. But by the time we get to the early 90s, people have pretty much moved on to that. It's not a world where everybody's using the SB1200 or the S950 anymore so we're into the we're into the age of the um the EPSs and then we get into the age of the ASR10 which is the next phase from Insonic but you know this is the space we're in now but he makes this entire album pretty much on the MPC60 and this is redman just pretty much does this album. If you look at the credits it says that, you know, some stuff is co-produced by Eric Sermon. but the majority of the album, there's 20 tracks on the album, the majority of it is just redman. And at the time redman, he says he was in a depression. He had lost some people close to him. He was doing a bunch of drugs that he didn't ne- didn't necessarily work for him that wasn't that weren't necessarily weed. I think he was doing hallucinogenics and other stuff like that. He was fucking with a crew called the Black Klux Klan. Um, the Pack Pistol Posse was still around, but he was just going through a really hard time in his life. So when you look at the credits for. Uh, yeah, that's the CD. So when you look at the credits for. I'm unfolding the J card for the CD right now, and it it's not cooperating. When you look at the credits for. There is a dark side. He did a lot of work at Rock and Reel Studio. Uh, Dave Greenberg, a uh, long-time guy who runs it, who ran it. Rock and Reel shows up a lot when you look at the uh, the lore of um, Red Man and the Death Squad. Also, originally known as the Death Squad, although the promo and the copy for the month of the Man ad say Death Squad. And if you look inside the uh, the um. The liner notes and the album credits for Eric Sermon's No Pressure album from uh, late 1993, I believe it came out in October 1993. It says Death Squad there too, and he has the like the, the skull ring. If you read the inside of Red Man's Dare of the Dark Side album, he talks about his Death DEF, Death Squad members, he uses a Z. He uses the same uh, way to describe them in the Insomnia um, Eric Sermon compilation album, which is something else that's very interesting. Now, produced by Reggie Noble for FNM. FNM is Funky Noble Productions, for those who don't know. Uh, Eric Sermon switched to Green-Eyed Bandit music, and then they had Bandit Management. So, uh, produced by Reggie Noble and Rockwilder for FNP. Now, for those of you that don't know the story behind Rockwilder, one of the things that happened was Rockwilder... Rockwild and Rockefeller, I believe, were in a group together. Rockefeller passes away. I don't know a lot about Rockefeller. Rockefeller is also the lead single for this album. It didn't do a tremendous amount of numbers or whatever. It it wasn't a big hit. But the album itself, you know, still did very well. It sold fairly quickly. Redman album. Um, So, the Dr. Travis is running thing with him, Uh, Bobby Head to this, Journey Through the Dark Side, The Journey, A Million and One, Buddha Spots, Neurotic, Buddha Session, Cosmic Slop, which featured Eric Sermon, and um, had Keith Murray on it. Keith Murray of Keith Murray, the most beautifulest thing in the world. He was on Jive, a member of the Def Squad. Then you got Rockefeller, you got the Rockefeller R.I.P., which was um, a track featuring Rocapella, where it's like he has like a, a verse, a sh- like short verse from him, maybe like less than sixteen bars. Green Island, which is another joint that, um, you know, features Mello, who was another dude on Def Jam West, who Eric Sermon and a uh, Redman, I believe, were producing for. Uh, basically, basically, basically. Basically. And another guy who did the mixing at um, Power Play, which is really in, um, instrumental on in this album, is uh, the legendary DJ Doc, Ivan Rodriguez. You had Can't Wait, which ends up being a single. Um, that's the joint where he said, Swish up speeds like Bruce Lee riding the Fuji in a movie, which is interesting because um, that wasn't Bruce Lee in that movie. Game of Death. Bruce Lee was long dead. The actual version of Game of Death that Bruce Lee shot was not used because they couldn't find the footage from, um, Golden Harvest. So Golden Harvest made an entirely different movie with a whole bunch of Bruce Lee, st- uh, stunt people that are supposed to be Bruce Lee and look like Bruce Lee. And they kept recreate, trying to recreate and work around this, uh, eight minutes or nine minutes of, 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 of footage that they actually had for the movie. I believe it's really insane. Or maybe it's 13. Anyway, they found the footage that Bruce Lee actually shot for it, and it's in a documentary called The Warrior's Journey. You can find it on... You can find it damn near anywhere. I've had it for years, probably since, what, 2001, 2002 when it came out. Um, So you got uh, Can't Wait, which was a single. When I come around... What It Looked Like, Slide and Rock On, Superman Lover 2, We Run New York featuring Hurricane G. Hurricane G is the ultimate fuck, boy. Yeah. I take my funk and my religion serious. That one. Um, Dr. Travis signs off. Tonight's the night, the remix. Who would have a motherfucking orgy? Scratches by DJ Twins. So, um, the art direction which was also done on Eric Sermon's um album Eric Sermon's album, of course, No Pressure. It was originally supposed to be called The Interview. It changed to No Pressure. The art and design was done by The Drawing Board, the legendary Drawing Board of um Def Jam, which uh used to be run by uh Say Adams aka Say City. But the photography was done by Danny Clinch. Danny Clinch was crucial to get gathering the images, the album covers, um, the inside pictures for the album jacket, the J card as we call them. So we have um, this really dark album recorded and mixed at Rock and Real Studios by Dave Greenberg. Uh, a lot of it is mixed. By I've a power play studios by Ivan Doc Rodriguez. Um, you see credits like keyboards, funk, Dr. Spot that means red man. But this album is really dark and I love it, and it's great. Uh, a great winter album, red man. Again, as I mentioned, um, in the previous episode, red man was not really a big fan of this album after the fact and he doesn't perform songs from it he doesn't really acknowledge this album like that i personally love it i think it's a great album i still listen to it regularly i have the cd in front of me matter of fact you know just to give you an idea but the crazy thing about from the dark side i mean the dark side album there's a dark side and out and red man separating himself from it kind of like i talked about last week how Method man kind of wanted to get away from Tekal because he felt it was the weakest of the uh the Wu solos, and he always wanted to like make up for it in a sense Red man wanted to make up for dare's a dark side so as when he made muddy waters muddy waters is pretty much him in mud in, in the outfit coming out of being okay the cover of dare's a dark side is him uh replicating the cover of uh a Funk, uh Parliament Funkadelic's album cover of Maggot Brain, where it's somebody in up to their neck in dirt. So Red Man is in the ground, only his head's visible, he's screaming, There is a dark side. Muddy Waters is him coming out of it with mud all over him. Like he's emerged from that darkness or that depression that he was in, symbolically. And he actually had moved on. So part of moving on was he doesn't really acknowledge this album. He doesn't really credit it. But what's interesting is that the Death Squad kind of stayed in this lane for a little longer because in 1996, they released um, Eric Sermon's compilation album, Insomnia, which I also have in front of me. That's the That's me opening it. This is me pulling out the J card with the credits. That's me closing the CD. Why am I, why am I telling everybody exactly what I'm doing? Because I can't hear it? Or maybe because I'm not 100% sure that everybody listening even knows what, what does he mean? Album credits. What's a CD? Oh, come on. If y'all listening to this shit, you kind of have to know. So this one, again, has... Kind of the same art direction and what have you, but this one's on um Interscope. But the premise of this album is that it's Eric Sermon's uh uh from the Dark Side Radio 88.9 Now one of the people that does the interludes on this album is Boston's own Cherry Martinez, who is no longer Boston's own Cherry Martinez. Cherry Martinez has been doing has done radio in New York for quite a long time, but at the time she was doing radio in Boston on um at W-E-R-S, which is Emerson Radio. And at back in Boston, we used to have this thing called 88.9 um, at Night. No longer exists. The programming that we grew up with listening to on um, Emerson, gone. I used to walk by that radio station, look in and see my people being interviewed there for years, because it's right down the street from me. Not the case anymore. So, um... This album had Redman, It featured of Redman. He was on Funkorama. This is back when they had Passion. You had LOD, uh, Keith Murray's crew, which had beef with Boston's RSO, who had the original Legion of Doom. Yes, they have the original Legion of Doom. I know for a fact. I lived it, seen it. Um, they had a song, I Feel It. Then you had um, Domo. You had uh, Tommy Gunn, who passed away. Matter of fact, the album is dedicated to him. You got a uh, duo, the Wixtons. The Wixtons have been mentioned on quite a few Eric Sermon. Crossbreed, you've heard them mentioned on quite a few um, Eric Sermon joints. Uh, Jamal and Khalif are on here. Jamal is in, you know, Molly G, formerly of um, Illegal, who Eric Sermon produced for. So, like, you look at this... It's
1: that hit.
0: You look at this and you see they're still using the from the dark side and the dark side symbolism and talking about it. But Redman wasn't doing that shit no more. And he had kind of removed himself from it, which is very interesting. But when you think about there is a dark side, I think about this as being, again, a really dark album Uh. A body of work. It's not about the singles. This album is about the flow of it. The sequencing. The feel of it. You can't look this album isn't like a jaw rule album where you're not supposed to care about how it runs together or how it flows. Or it is an entire body or a comprehensive piece of art it's just supposed to be the hit singles the singles, the songs the individual songs if you got 3 or 4 singles out of here then it doesn't matter if you got 10 other mediocre ass songs on there this shit is supposed to run from beginning to end and it's, I think um another thing about this I think the um The time is off on this one, too. I'm not 100% sure. But like, Rockefeller isn't a classic single, but it's dope. But I don't think about singles when I listen to this. I think about when I played this on cassette. I have the CD in my hand. But when I played this on cassette, when I flipped it over, Thinking about when I come around, what it sounded like. Uh, uh, Your red man, what the? yo, red man, what the? What it looked like? What it looked like? What it looked like? What it looked? Li- I said what? Or like we run New York, which comes at the end. How fucking hard that shit was.
1: they coming laughing in color.
0: We run you motherfuckers. Fucking ass blip, for bliff, cause, cause Yeah, like I think about that, and of course this album came out uh late nineteen ninety four, going into nineteen ninety five. So it's my senior year in high school. So again, this sticks out to me even more. Yeah, I really hope whoever's behind me, because again I live on the first floor, is moving because I don't want to have to leave where I am. I, I this is my apartment. It's my house, and I live here. It's mi casa, and me viva aqui. Anyway, so I think about A Million and One Buddhist Spots, which um, I believe, who was it? Savian Glover said that it was his favorite song to work out to, which is interesting because if you read this, it says A Million and One Buddhist Spots is one minute and 41 seconds. And you're like, wait a minute. How did how do you work out to a song that's less than two minutes the fuck kind of workout you doing neurotic was my shit um he you know what i'm not 100 percent sure that I, the people that listening even understand exactly what the hell i'm talking about so i have held on to a macbook pro that still has a cd um pl- player I haven't got a MacBook Air yet, that's the next thing. So I feel like I should just maybe play something from this album. I don't wanna be like anybody else and just do like, go to YouTube, nah man, what do I look like? I still do think that it's insane that in this day and age, you kinda have to explain the concept of album sequencing. Like, going from A Million and One Buddhist Boss to Neurotic to, to The Buddhist Session, which is a, um interlude, to Cosmic Slop, to Rockefeller, to Green Island, and then basically, before we get to Can't Wait. And the thing is that, like, again, these albums are not... This album is an album. It's not about the hot song. It's about... Playing the shit from beginning to end without fast-forwarding. That's the whole thing that you're trying to accomplish here. So it's more about feel. It's more about uh, gaining one aesthetic. It's about me trying to stall for time until the fucking iTunes comes up and not lying to the audience. That's another thing too. When I do this, I have to figure out this, I have to figure out this fine line of, am I stalling, am I just talking, am I just wasting, wasting time? No, I don't want to import it. Let me just play neurotic. So to give you an idea, imagine that playing in your Walkman, uh, depending on what kind of Walkman you had back in the days, you know, and having that be what you hear when you're on the the Iron Horse, in our case, the MBTA, the orange line for me, uh, going to school. Now... A Million and One Buddha Spots, I mentioned that on the CD itself, it says that it's a 141 song, which doesn't make sense because as I look here, it says it's 323. So let's play that.
1: My brain is high, like Newark, New Jersey do cart them am high. When I sack my two black guys, I would be brief, but my car canize didn't dry. I smoke the blood for all you underground trucks. My smoke bangs like it's freshly picked from the swamp. So, nigga, how you roll the blood? How you roll up? blood? Lift the script or some other shit like how you roll a cut. Now, I smoke the Maui we wow, we did.
0: The... So, yeah, there's that one. And, um, there's just certain songs where. You just let it rock. You know, like, you just let it rock. It doesn't matter. When I come around, perfect example.
1: We're And you may now about the cat. <laughs> Pop your <hand> <laughs> I knock them out the box and out socks. Cause when I come around, nigga skate like the rocks. Ha, to get me all you got when I'm done rockin'. I'll leave you all doing a bus stop. before poor Matt Spins wheels like Pat Sajak. I brought niggas up like Ajax now hit the playback Look out. Most of like cooked outs I'm smoked out. All you MCs put your books out.
0: Yeah. So and it's funny too, cause when I start doing this, I start playing it, um, I hold the phone to I hold the phone to the laptop and play stuff. And then I hold the phone to my ear like I'm talking to somebody, like I'm doing a phone call. I'm doing a podcast. So I keep making that same goddamn mistake. Right now, what's playing in the background is the beginning of Superman Lover 2, which continues the Superman Lover line.
1: Superman lover in the motherfucking town. Get down, go down and
0: round like shots on your G-spot, honey. So yeah, you got Superman Lover 2, which is super dope. Then like we run New York pretty much closes out the album. So, yeah, I just decided to play some of the stuff from the album. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I also decided to dig up. I went into my archives and I found the November 1994 issue of The Source. And I found it has Redman on the cover. And I'm like, yeah, because I remember this. And on page 88, Adario Strange, a.k.a. Doc Strange, writes... A story about red man in this album the the, the article is called hell on earth i'll read it since i didn't do an audio book it looks like i'm gonna be reading it, y'all hell on earth on with a powerful new album in an the eerie sense of the macabre red man embarks on a lyrical journey to the darkest bowels of the human soul if someone was to come to this room right now and pop you and me in the head and kill us and when we turned around what would we see Breathing in my face five inches away with insanity eyes rolling back in his head is Red Man, aka Reggie Noble, aka one stress, cess vex motherfucker. What will we see? Would we see that person or will we see an image of something else killing us? If a motherfucker was coming here right now, would we see the devil sitting in there or that's in that seat, ready to blow our head off, or will we just see a regular motherfucker? This out this how the article opens. Just lets you know where the f- where red man's head was at. The deaf Skull Tattoo, the rocks, the same afro as his master, seems to pulsate off his arm as Red inhales deep and, and yells full blast in my ear what he needs heard. If you could smell ready-to-die attitude, then Redman is stink-like many project warriors ready to set it. The ass-out, butt-naked technique master leans back, looks around, and leans back in to whisper full volume the secrets of the Red Man mental. When a motherfucker jump off a building, when he's going down, before he hits the ground, he knows he's going to die. What does he see at the bottom? Is it a big-ass big, fast, big ass face of a devil screaming, come on down, or Jesus, or anybody? Nobody knows because nobody can tell, and you can't wake the dead up and ask them. That's how I'm trying to go. I'm trying to find that out. There is more to living than just dying. There's more to dying than just dying, just like there's more to living than just living. The mist of the macabre that surrounds the specter of voodoo, black magic, the cosmos, and your mind is often too thick to blow away, much less see and understand. We have endeavored for centuries to apply logic to these areas that tease humanity with a false sense of reasoning, then snatch it away, leaving one with a childlike astonishment and ignorance. What... But what artists throughout time have discovered is that nothing is truly alien to the spirit of humankind. If you can take a minute to squint through the herbal smoke, you can find that Redman, a.k.a. Reggie Noble, is one such artist. What? So when you go through this album, you read about uh, Redman going to Montclair State, you know, finally getting his deal, uh, being working with red epmd and shit like that. He does a photo shoot with the twins at a That's a That's a burying ground. That's a cemetery. I remember this article. Okay, this is what I was getting to. The time for some action video brought us to this vivid yet sublime simplicity. The opening scene is Red man strapped down to what looks to be some sort of torturous psychiatric observation chair. A sinister voice from nowhere says, focus your mind. Focus your mind. What comes next is a assaulting flurry of visual images containing Red rhyming in the studio, holding a pistol as members of what he calls the Black Klux Klan, clad in black robes, emerge from the darkness. The nasal of Cypress Hill's B-Rail chants, time for some time for some action, as the camera earthquake trembles and Red drools the lyrics that seem to help him go mad in the chaos of sound, exactly what he wanted to. Now, this article breaks down a whole bunch of things like... um. What he's trying to do with the album, his his approach or what have you. Uh it ends with this passage. Devil's worship? Nah. A Un- favorite horror flick? Jacob's letter. Not because it's just horror, it's psychological horror. And that's the and, and that best foreshadows how deep Reggie Noble's thoughts go beyond what could be termed as an underground mentality. As Red recounts his conversations with Like Minded Lady of Rage on the secret life of intim- inanimate objects. Yeah. He makes these revelations. I believe you're supposed to be able to move stars with your mind. There's motherfuckers out there that could jump into your body, put your spirit out, and you'll just be walking around New York unseen while someone else is in your body fucking up. There is a dark side. When you dare to open your mind, you meet the fear of the unknown that we don't understand called the dark side. We only use 10% of our brain. This has been disproven. Should we not fear the full realization of even 80% of it? What are we hiding in ourselves? There is a dark side. How much of the unknown, foreign, and supernatural do we fear because we have chosen to pretend it has no basis in reality? While your spirit and heart tell you otherwise, Reggie Noble's about daring to push the boundaries of the imagination and understanding to free oneself from oneself to find touch and truly experience the universe. Believe it or not, Red Man wants to blow the smoke away, and you basically got me reading, which is fun. I love doing that. It was truly her friend Flicka. So yeah, I flipped this over. That's uh. Uh-huh. This is Red Man on the cover, says Tales from the Dark Side. This is a picture of Red Man, big-ass afro. What else is in this issue? Um, uh, a feature on Darnell Martin. Uh, the first American woman to direct the Hollywood movie, I believe it was I Like It Like That. The Fall Boot Preview. Parrish Smith in the, jo- in-, in the Zone. A Welcome to Atlanta special section. Blacks in Prime Time. Organized Confusions. The Apocalyptic Ones. A uh, um, article I remember very well about South, South Africa's homeless youth who called themselves Kaffirs. That really fucked me up. Um, and, hey, let's... There's an ad for the At-Ban clan. And there's also an article in here called Boston Big Shots. Holy shit. Guys... The November 1994 issue of The Source is also the one that sparked the end of the uh, Mind Squad as we know it and began the first mutiny. And I'm looking at my cousin's face. <laughs> the Mac Devilly Devious, the microphone wrecker Tony Rome, DJ Def Jeff, and Ray Dog the Jackal have 10 years of war stories to tell. Yeah. I know no, so this whole shit has gone extremely full circle. I remember this article very, very well, very, very, very well, and it's funny because the people who wrote it it says Malone and Mason. Malone is Bones Malone. The same Bones Malone, who on <laughs> Facebook asked me why my book was called "Best Damn Hip Hop Writing," the book of Dart. That was a fun exchange. Um so what I was talking about before I saw that is the Boston Big Shots article, the article the about RSO, uh is an ad for the app band clan on Ruthless Records, Relativity, nineteen ninety four, coming soon, and I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at a young Will I Am and Apple the app. And the right above it is an ad for the Goats, the Goats No Glory album, featuring Rumble Fish on Rough House at Columbia. And then the next is Chio Hodari Coker's article piece about organized confusion, the apocalyptic ones. Wow. And Mike Geronimo's It's Real ad. Wow. This brings back memories, man. This brings back so many memories. But the thing is that Redman made an album that I regard as easily one of my favorites. Even with The Passage of Time, I think it's one of the best winter albums of the late 90s. um, Of the early to mid 90s, I should say. Even better. The early to mid 90s. And let me just look at some of these um. Record reports from the source. The Youngsters got three mics. OC's Word Life got three and a half mics from Chairman Jefferson Mao. Thug Life got three mics from Kari Turner. The Roots' Do You Want More got four mics from Brett Johnson. And The Coos Genocide and Juice got three and a half mics from Josh Levine. Interesting, but yeah. I have um the single for Rockefeller. I had the single. I remember playing that shit to death. Um, I think the Tonight's Tonight remix is on the B-side. If my memory isn't failing me. Matter of fact, just for the sake of accuracy, let me not be an asshole and actually look it up. Because journalism... I can do that. Now, what was funny was, I remember there was this one time I was doing a podcast, I think it was um back in 2018 when I started, and something happened where my um my Wi-Fi went down, and I was trying to stall, because I was trying to restart the, the, uh, the Wi-Fi, and I, I don't know why I couldn't just say, oh, the Wi-Fi went down, and also, it was like, trying to figure out, because Again, I like to overthink things, so I'm just like, why would, why can't I just say the Wi-Fi went down? Because I and then again, it was like when I, I froze when I was doing an early early podcast when I couldn't remember, um it's funny because I just blanked on what the fucking um uh Pitch Perfect. I couldn't remember the name of the of the um movie Pitch Perfect, so I I, I was like the the I said everything but the movie title. And I was like, I could have looked it up. Why didn't I look it up? What was keeping me from looking it up? So it's funny things like that, man. Um, When you're more comfortable in your skin and you've been... This is the 64th episode of this podcast. And it's just like, you know what? I could do whatever. And... um, Discogs. And another thing, too, is if you've had a laptop for a while, you type in things and it knows exactly where to go immediately. And if you type it in and it doesn't go there immediately... Oh, they did... Did they they redid the Discogs page? Focus. So, um. Go to Redman. Singles and EPs. Rockefeller. Yep, that's the one I had. Click on it. It just says Rockefeller LP version, Rockefeller instrumental remix version, and the re- remix instrumental. Is there an alternate version that had um Tonight's Tonight on it? Or was Tonight's Night on another single entirely? That would make sense. What song was that on? Was it on Can't Was it on Can't Wait? Uh uh-uh, uh, Can't Wait, the B side is a hundred a million and one Buddha spots. Interesting. Now, The Month of the Man. Bam. The Month of the Man promo. Which came out in... uh, Came out this month, I believe, in 1994. Or September 1994. It has Rockefeller, the radio edit. It has Bring the Pain, clean radio edit. And it has the Bring the Pain, squeaky clean radio edit. Jeff Trotter is a name that shows up a lot. Uh, Jeff Trotter worked... Did a lot of work for both red man he did um bring the pain to uh doing edits and shit like that so the whole month of the man ad campaign was really big because it was like we got these two guys who were friends. And who we can build around, like a core. Like you got a young core for a basketball team, what have you. You know, you got those two wings. Like the Celtics have, of course it's coming back to the Celtics. They have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know. And you're going to throw them at anybody. But Def Jam was like, we have something. We have lightning in the bottle here. So it made sense and it was even greater that Redman and Method Man end up becoming friends and become like a unit on their own, you know. And you go on tour and you got Redman and Method Man as an act all all in themselves, you know. And they both are great MCs with great delivery, you know. And it's like they're guys that get better as far as their craft is concerned with age. And they haven't, you know... They haven't aged badly, you know. They look like they actually care about themselves, you know. And and maintaining some health. So, you know, that's good. There are guys that I can actually... From my, like, niece and nephew and, like, the younger generation... I, they're still around. So I don't have to, like, tell them stories like... Well, back in 1994, this and this and this happened to bring up videos like we know who they are. You know, we 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 own TVs. You know what I'm saying? We have we have handheld devices. We see Redman. We see Method Man. You know, they still host shows. You know, they still tour. They're still active. And this is crazy to think that it's been 25 years. And I can say that about Red Man and Method Man as opposed to if I was talking about uh, another actor and uh, some other MCs from twenty five years ago and I'm talking about what they do now, you know, they've moved on to another phase of life or they have a different <laughs> a different job and you know what I'm saying, they and all this other stuff. is like, no, you still method meth and red is still MCs are still active and they're still, you know, working. I don't like to use the term relevant because it's bullshit, but they are still around. And it's just dope that they get to be around and celebrate the 25th anniversary of an album. And that's not even their first. Technically, it's Method Man's debut album, but this is Red Man's sophomore album. Like 1990 marks his first appearance on Wax it's about to be 2020 wrap your brain around that so yeah there's a dark side one of my favorite albums i love this record and it's crazy that i can't if i was to meet red man again um i'm not talking to him about this album as much as i love this album as much as i love to discuss this album and one of the things that I didn't do was, um, so I've been busy this entire month. I've been writing a whole bunch of different things, rewriting something in particular. And one thing I didn't do was write about either of these albums because it was going to take time away from what I'm doing. So I decided if I'm not going to write about these albums or break down the history of them or whatever, then I'm just going to like try to not be so formal and impractical. Or, like, to. When I write, I have a completely different approach to when I'm talking about something. So, there's this hint of the academic approach and breaking down weeks and what happened here and here, and then going to the feeling and the importance. And the effect it had, and then I might talk about how it did sales-wise and all the other stuff. I haven't talked about how it did sales-wise. Um, both these albums went gold in mid-January, mid-to-late January, nine days apart from each other. Red Man and Method Man's album. They did, they sold. They did well. You know, Method Man's album did really well. This album did what it did. Uh, Rockefeller wasn't a big single. You know, uh, the the next single from uh, Can't Wait did fairly well. The video was amazing. The Can't Wait video I loved. Uh, People still quote songs from this album. If you ask Redman again, he's going to say that his favorite album is still Muddy Waters. He wants to make a Muddy Waters sequel. Muddy Waters 2 is what, he, what his heart desires to make. Method Man always wanted to make another Tacal. Tacal Zero. Tacal Two. You, so it's like they have that in common. Whereas like they keep coming back to this album even though they move on and they do other things. Because they feel like there's unfinished business in regard to those albums. But with this album... Red Man's like, I'm never going back there again. And I can relate because I have a lot of, I have artist friends that release material and when their fans talk about it, like, hey, do this song. Casey doesn't want to do Ballad of the Worms anymore. You know, he just doesn't. Slain doesn't want to do his some of his old songs because it takes him back to a time in his life where he didn't have shit together and things were completely fucked up. He doesn't want to relive that, you know? And then some artists, like, they grew and it's like, I did that at a time when it worked and now I don't want to go back to that. No one wants... Gene Grey does not want to do Taco Day. You know? I don't blame her. So... Again, that's pretty much... Oh, yeah. Personal thing. 20 20 years ago this month, I became a holiday hire at Newberry Comics, which, again, right down the street from me. Place I've gone to since I was a kid for music, comic books, used to read, the, uh, the local trades, hang out there, all that stuff, because Newberry Street was like, you know, where everybody went to hang out. 20 years ago this month I I was working at a, uh, the movie theater no longer exists I left there got a uh got an interview started working there like I think the day after or something like that and <laughs> I went back because what I do is I go to all uh, the bookstores I go to the Barnes and Noble I go to the Trident the Trident bookstore and cafe on Newbury Street and then I go to the uh The Newberry Comics. I'm hanging around Newberry Comics. I'm looking on the floor. I go upstairs, look at what they have for the graphic novels and stuff like that. I wanted to get an issue of um, DMZ I don't have because, I don't know if you know this, but Ava DuVernay is going to develop DMZ. Matty Roth is one of my all-time favorite uh, fictional characters. Pretty much I'm a mix between Spider Jerusalem and Matty Roth and another black guy. So, neither one of them were like... And um, I go downstairs. Because downstairs is where the vinyl is and everything else. And I, I don't know, I think maybe magazines. I guess. So I go downstairs. And as I'm looking at the rap vinyl, I turn around. And I see my book. They're carrying my book. It was a full circle moment. My brain was screaming. Now, some people have a fight or flight response. Some people uh, respond to things differently. I have gone through so much shit where I've had expectations that didn't happen. So I don't expect anything. So if anything over that happens, it's good. And it's a coping mechanism, but it's also weird because when great shit happens and big things happen, I should be super excited about My body's like, calm the fuck down. So, and again, I'm 44, so this is something that I've been doing for a long time. So, my brain is kind of like, hey, yeah, that didn't happen. That's not happening. And I'm like, yeah, it is. My book's right there. So, I pull out my phone and I like record a video and I'm like calming myself down at the same time. So, when I watch it back, I know what was going on in my brain as I'm doing it. And it seems really cool, but at the same time I'm talk I'm walking my talking myself through the process, because again, this is when you have a brain like mine, this is what you do. So I'm like telling everybody it's like, Yeah, I'm really like kinda bugging out right now, but I'm not allowing myself to like be over the yo I'm chill, I'm calm, and my brain's kinda acting like this shit ain't happened, but it's big and let me explain why it's big. So I posted that on Instagram. So yeah, my oh, and the reason why that happened is because my book sold out again on Amazon. And it's on back order, which is big because it's an independent book. So if you're looking for it, you're gonna have to buy it on Barnes and Noble. Uh the best damn hip hop writing in the Book of Dart. You could uh You could get it through Walmart, which is nuts. I just said that. You could buy it through Walmart. And there's one other place that you could buy it from. I don't know how many people have actually used this place, though. Well, it's not true because people online have told me, it was like, I bought it from here. And I'm like, you what now? So let me actually scroll down and say what it is. Powell's Books. Powell's Books. That's what it is. So available on Barnes and Noble, and it's available on um, the Nook version. Uh, if you don't need the physical copy on Amazon, there's the uh, there's the um, the digital version. It just it's insane to think that now I go on Amazon, and if I'm linked to my book there's a look inside for the kindle version of the book which is on sale for 9.99 which is nuts but yeah um it's funny because there are rankings for for book sales and it's dropping because the book's not available Yeah, that's what happens when your laptop goes to uh, YouTube and it starts running ads and you panic because you're like, why is there sound coming out? Because when you're doing your podcast, you turn your TV down and you make sure that there's no background noise. So when it does happen, it takes a while for your brain to process while it, why it happens. And also, this podcast should have ended five minutes ago, at least. But I'm still talking. So I'm going to stop doing that now.